Amen. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Great to have you here today. We actually only have uh, two weeks left after uh, today, and then uh, everybody that has a regular Sunday school class will get to go uh, back to that. If you don't have a regular Sunday school class and you are a uh, a relatively young uh, uh, adult, uh, we would love to have you stay uh, in here. Uh, As you've heard me say so many times, uh, almost 100% of people who walk down their wedding aisle, they love one another. Uh, They believe their marriage is going to make it, Uh, but there's a lot of marriages that don't make it. And so it certainly takes more than love and good good intentions to have a successful marriage. And again, uh, I've told you many times, I commend every one of you for choosing to be in here and to invest in your marriage. You know, we're all in different places in life, both uh, our age, our circumstances, where we are in our walk with Christ, but uh, I really, I commend you for just investing in your marriage, and I I believe that everybody that does that, in the end, will be glad they uh, did so. Today, in the interest of time, I'm not going to review those things that uh, we've already reviewed eight eight times. Uh, I hope by this time those things are deeply in your heart and mind, but I do want to uh, answer a few questions that have been turned in, and because last week we talked about managing our money together, uh, not surprisingly these questions, uh, almost all of them in one way or another are linked to that. Uh, Question one, have you ever suggested that a couple get a divorce? Uh, I have not. Uh, I have on a couple of occasions suggested that couples temporarily separate to work on things. There have been some situations I've been involved with where either the children or one of the spouses feels in danger. And listen, uh, that is also a Bible principle too. Um, Protect yourself. Protect your kids. And and so uh, I think in honor of both those principles, I have uh, recommended on a couple of occasions that people temporarily separate uh, to work on their marriage, but I've never recommended a divorce. Uh, there are two Bible reasons where God specifically allows divorce, but never does he command divorce. And uh, that's why I never recommend it. Uh, I've had a lot of situations where, in my own mind, as I listen to uh, them talk about what was going on, and I thought, I'm thinking to myself, uh, ma'am, get out of there. <laughs> He's a jerk. You, you know, he, it, uh, there's a lot of times I thought that, but I've never said that. Uh, you say, why? Uh, number one, the Bible only gives two reasons for divorce, and it doesn't command it, it allows it. And secondly, I am not the one who answers. Uh, I won't answer to God for what they choose. I'm not the one who will uh, work through all the difficulties of uh, life later on when you're by yourself or, you know, you get new people involved. Uh, I don't have to work through those. Uh, and, and so I, I'm not going to tell um, people to do something like that. I, I'm going to tell people to follow Christ, do what's right. And I'm going to tell them what the Bible says, that God allows divorce under a couple of circumstances, but it doesn't command it. Uh, question number two, how do I save money when my husband has a different view than me? Uh, how do you talk to your spouse about wasteful spending? Uh, very few couples, when you get married, uh, have the same view uh, about money, whether it's spending money or saving money. Uh, very few 
pe people do. And uh, that problem's even made worse because almost always opposites attract. I mean, almost, almost always one, uh, whether it's a woman or the man will be a little more aggressive, almost always the person they end up is less aggressive. It's almost always uh, the case. And so w when we start out like that, uh, I mean, there's just bound to be a lot of opportunities uh, to disagree. And so basically you handle this situation like uh, I've said 15 times in here about any situation. You make the situation a matter of prayer. You pick a couple of clear examples, not five clear examples, uh, a couple of clear examples. You pick a good time, you pick a good tone, and you have an adult uh, conversation. Uh, if that doesn't work, uh, I recommend that you get somebody else involved who is good with handling money that you both agree uh, would be uh, good to uh, help you. Uh, by the way, it's hard for me to imagine that you can't reach some kind of compromise solution where one person saves more than they prefer to and the other person spends more than they prefer to. I, I don't understand unless somebody's being really proud. Uh, I don't think compromise is a good thing when it comes to key theological issues. But I think when it comes to things of life, you know, that's an important word. Uh, question three, is it okay to increase your income potential to better provide for your family? Uh, I not only believe it's okay, I recommend it. Uh, I think in, in an ideal world, you do that when you're younger. Uh, it, you can, uh, when you're older, do things to up your income potential, but it's just harder uh, when you're older. And, uh, you, you know, but I recommend you do it. I don't recommend that you ever compromise your faithfulness to Christ or you investing in the key relationships in your life. I rebel against this whole idea that, well, I'm going to set aside the church and my faith in Christ. I'm going to set aside uh, my time with my wife and children so that I can better myself for these next five years, whatever. Stop that. Uh, better yourself over the course of 10 years and continue your faith in Christ and, and investing in your relationships. Uh, listen, I, I honestly believe, and I don't think very many people really do this, uh, I think one of the best things we do and that we teach our children to do is to pursue personal excellence. You, you know, that is different for every person. But, but I think this whole idea that we're, we're okay underachieving if we're just as good as everyone else. I, I, I don't like that whole idea. I don't think that's why God gifted uh, some people more than he gifted others. I think he expects you to do more. Uh, question number four, what do you do when neither of you are good with money? Uh, everybody has to start where they are. And so you've already taken a good first step in that you recognize the problem that neither of you are good with money. And listen, if you're bad with money, understand in the first few years of your adult life, you can make dumb enough decisions that will hurt you for decades. Uh, and so recognize that you're not good with money. And good first step. The second thing you should do is just decide to learn. I mean, handling your money well is not a gift from God. It's learned behavior. It is choices that you make. And so I would say in an ideal world, you both would learn how to handle your money. Uh, say, how do you do that? Uh, I would recommend some good books. 
Uh, we sell uh, Larry Burkett books. We sell Dave Ramsey books in our bookstore at cost. I don't recommend Dave Ramsey for how you should live your Christian life. Uh, I don't think that's his strength. I do recommend Dave Ramsey on how you should handle your money. He's very good at that. Uh, read those books. And uh, I would also recommend find somebody else who's good with their money uh, and use them. Uh, somebody you're comfortable with them knowing the details of your finances. You, you know, one of the reasons that people don't get better at the handling of their money is they're proud. They don't want someone to find out they don't tithe. They don't want someone to find out they've got $10,000 worth of credit card debt. They don't want somebody to find out that they're living paycheck to paycheck and barely. They don't want to do that. Listen, don't live like that. Uh, admit the problem, find help, and what you'll find that when uh, you, you read these books and you get somebody who's helping you that's good with their money, at first you'll be talking to them a lot as you learn Bible principles, as you learn principles for handling your money, and then what you're going to learn as time goes on, less and less and less, you're going to need to ask some questions and talk to them. It's how you learn. And uh, if you're somebody who's bad with your money and, and you're just too proud to fix it, then go ahead and live in pain. God will let you. But please don't stay like that. Uh, question number five. My spouse has a higher earning potential and more ability to handle money than I do. How can I contribute? I'll contribute in other ways. Uh, l listen, I believe every woman and every man uh, husband and wife have something that you can contribute significant to your home. Everyone. Uh, I do not think that everybody's going to contribute to the financial organization of the home. Uh, but you need somebody doing that. And so what you need to do is just find what each of you are good at, contribute in your way, and be glad for what you contribute. You're a team. You're not competing against your spouse. And uh, find what you add and add it and, and, and be glad. Uh, which gets us to our thought today. Um, there's a lot of questions have been turned in about conflict with your family. And uh, conflict with our family is actually one of the four areas where, you know, marriages, husbands and wives have a lot of disagreements. And so what I want to do is I want to, I just want to put down three Bible principles and then just take some time to practically uh, apply these uh, to minimizing conflict with our family. The first principle we talked about the first week, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 21, says the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept. He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof and the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now a bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. They both were naked, the man and his wife. They were not ashamed. You remember that basic principle from verse 24. Leave and cleave. Leave your father and mother. Cleave to your spouse. That's a, the most basic marriage principle there is. If you do not leave the authority of your parents, uh, you have not really started your marriage yet. All right? That doesn't mean you leave all time with them. That doesn't mean 
you leave our relationship, listen, you leave their authority, and you cleave to your spouse. If you've left the authority of your parent, but not cleaved to your spouse, gripped, been close to, then again, you violated the most basic principle of marriage, uh, cleaving to your spouse. And that's a good principle. Go to Exodus chapter 20. Just laying down three Bible principles and going to apply them. And as we lay down these three principles, uh, it's going to be really obvious to, to all of us that there's a lot of complexity. And because of this complexity, that's why we have all this uh, difficulty. That's why this is a source of, uh, you know, conflict in, in our marriage. Here's the second Bible principle, Exodus chapter 12, 20, I'm sorry, and verse 12. It's the fifth commandment. It says, honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long uh, upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Um uh, the Bible principle here is that we're to honor our parents. We obey them while we're under their authority. And we don't obey them when we leave home. Uh, we honor them all our life while we're home and while they're away. Uh, God chose our parents for us. I don't understand some of the choices God makes. Uh, that's why he's God and we're not. Uh, we honor our parents. Uh, the Bible actually speaks about children's children ten times, directly. I mean that phrase, children's children, ten times, and many, many more times indirectly. In fact, if you study the genealogies in the Bible, there are times when actually a grandparent is listed as if they're the parent. And though grandparents don't have any authority in the lives of grandchildren, that's not given them by the parents, uh, we are to honor our parents all our life, and there is some kind of space that is supposed to go to grandparents. We leave and cleave, and we honor our parents and give some space to grandparents. First Timothy chapter 5, we're just laying down some principles. By and large, when it comes to how you live your life, other than some commandments, uh, that are really clear commandments. God gives us instruction through principles. And these principles, God did it, did it on purpose. That means we apply in every culture, in every age, these principles. If you were a Jew living in Jerusalem in 65 AD, you applied this to Jewish culture in 65 AD. If you're an American living in America uh, in 2023, we apply this to American culture in 2023. These principles, notice this principle in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 1 says, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father and the younger men as brethren. The elder women as mothers and younger as sisters with all, with all purity. Notice that the key there is a brother-sister relationship. And so God likens the relationship we're supposed to have in his church with brothers and sisters. Now, I don't think God intended this to be how brothers and sisters are at home when you're growing up. Uh, I'll lift my hand and I say, you know what, I had some good conflict with my sisters when, when we were growing up, and uh, sometimes it was their fault, uh, sometimes it was my fault, at all times I settled it in ways that were not good. Uh, I've been away from home now for over 40 years. Uh, I love my sisters. 
Um, and though we don't call each other on the phone and, and talk, uh, whenever I, I see them, we just pick up where we left. There's a special bond that God, remember, God chose our brothers and sisters. You didn't choose them. There's a special bond that go between brothers and, and sisters. We joke around a, a lot of, about it, but, but listen, there's a special bond there. And the Bible makes nothing of cousins, aunts, uncles, second cousins, uh, cousins once removed, great aunts, great uncles. It, the Bible does speak about those things, but they have nothing biblically uh, in, in our priority system. Listen, they may be special in your life, and I'm not saying don't prioritize them. Sometimes an aunt or an uncle or a cousin, I mean, they're a key person in, in, in your life. That's fine. We're talking about biblical priorities and biblical principles. Um, and when, when we think of honoring our parents, leaving and cleaving to our spouse, uh, having grandparents have some time and this close brother-sister relationship we were supposed to have with our siblings, you know what? It's kind of easy when you stop and think about it. How do you balance your life? Uh, how do you balance your time? How do you balance your feelings? How do you balance your priorities as a husband and wife when you think about all these pieces that come into play? Uh, and we think about that and it becomes even more compl complicated when we think about the fact that some of those in our family, they're not saved and they're an ungodly influence. I mean, especially after you have children. I mean, how do you honor your parents and include them appropriately in a safe distance? It's a great question. Uh, when we think about that some people in that family pool, they're saved, but they're still a bad influence. Um, how do we balance that? You, you, you know, you may or may not agree. I actually believe it is more destructive for a child than to have someone say, I'm not a Christian and behave badly than it is to have someone in their life who says they're a Christian and behave badly. How, how, do, you, how do you balance that? When, you know, we have all this stuff that, we, that we're, these people are supposed to be in our life. How, how do you balance when they're that, when they're a bad influence? Um, when someone in our family, like our spouse, seems blind to the bad influence their family is on them, what do we do? Those are good questions. Somebody one time turned in the question, what if I do if my spouse can't see how their parent is controlling them in a bad way? Uh, the first thing you need to do is make sure that you're actually looking at the situation rightly instead of through the eyes of envy. You know, it's real easy to feel like your spouse is being controlled in a bad way. And if you stop and honest and really what it is, is they have a relationship with their family you don't have. Um, and so you need to pause. I, I would start there and, you, you know, then go to the next step. If, wow, you know what? This isn't just through the eyes of, uh, of envy. What should you do? Well, I think we've answered that question about 16 times now. You come up with a couple of good examples. You make the issue a matter of prayer. You pick a good time. You pick a go good tone. And you have a conversation. 
But what if they still don't agree? Haven't you ever noticed that almost never do people come to the same conclusion at the same time? Almost never. And that's especially true when it comes to someone's family. What do you do? Uh, By the way, sometimes you're just going to have to wait on God. I know we hate that four-letter word, W-A-I-T. Sometimes the issue is big enough, though, that you have to do something. You you know, because of all these complexities and uh, when it comes to family relationships and and balancing them out, you know what? It's easy to stand here today and sit here and, and say, wow, you know what? I can see why we have so many disagreements. And that's why family is one of the key areas where our marriage conflicts occur. And we've spent a lot of time now, two whole weeks, on how to disagree when we disagree. What I want to do this morning is just take some time talking about what about when we disagree over handling our family. And like we've done on several occasions now, I just I want to sit across the table from you and I want to just chat and talk about applying and balancing these Bible principles with our family. Here's the first one, number one. Divide your holiday time equally. Uh, Holidays are a big source of conflict. Uh, If you have the idea uh, that the guy is supposed to give up his family and only the lady's family is supposed to be involved. I, I believe that is not only unjust, I actually believe that's unbiblical because I think both husband and wife are supposed to leave their father and mother and cleave to their spouse. Uh, now sometimes, in, in our case it was like this, uh, distance can make that difficult. I mean, both of our families were 200 miles away. Whenever we went home for holidays, we literally, when our boys were growing up, we would have a schedule and we would, it would be divided up equally by hours, how, many, how much time we spent at everybody's house. And do you know how that made everyone feel? It made both families angry. Neither, listen, uh, my parents are good parents, her parents are good parents, but, but it, truthfully, when it comes to time with their grandkids, they didn't want equality, they wanted advantage. Uh, it's your job as a parent to handle them equally whenever possible. Uh, Make sure you begin to establish some of your own family traditions, uh, especially after you have kids. You know, before you have kids, you got some slack in it. I still don't think it's wise. I think you ought to become an independent couple and and have your Christmas and all all that stuff. But, I mean, especially after you have kids, establish some of your own family traditions. Uh, Some of you are in circumstances where one uh, of your moms says, hey, you will be at my house Christmas morning at 9.30. You divide that time equally and establish some of your own traditions. Listen, you don't have to have every holiday for yourself, but you have to have something. Uh, have you ever asked yourself this question? Do you really have to celebrate that holiday on the exact day? Can, can you do Christmas on some other day? Can you do a birthday on some other day? 
and cut out extended family before you cut out your own family. Say, why? Bible principles. Here's number two. Divide the time your children spend with their grandparents equally whenever possible. And again, I I know sometimes distance makes it bad. Uh, Sometimes someone's close and and they're far. And you know what? Sometimes uh, one or the other of the grandparents, you know, quite frankly, you don't want to be around them much. Be there yourself if you have family members you do not trust, regardless of what they say. You don't have to tell them why. You don't have, why, why are you telling one set of grandparents when you know it's going to bother them the time you're with the other grandparents? Why would you do that? You don't have to tell them. Okay, sometimes you get back to the corner, they're going to ask, but why, 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 this is kind of a sick phrase, but my old pastor used to say this. He said, the more you stir poopy, the more it stinks. And while that phrase isn't really sound very spiritual, you, you know, there's a lot of reality to thinking about that when it comes to uh, our situation with our family. Uh, most untrustworthy people want to be trusted without doing the things to rebuild trust. Uh, again, you may disagree with this, but I would never trust my children alone with someone who was abusive in the past. I wouldn't do it. I, I wouldn't look them in the face and, unless I was backed in the corner and said, by the way, I will never leave my kids alone with you. I will always be here because I don't trust you. Um... But sometimes you don't trust them. You say, what if they repented and they're safe? You know, you, uh, I, listen, I would forgive them. I would have a relationship with them. But I would never leave my children alone with them. Again, you parent your children. I'm sitting across from the table telling you what I think you need to do to have good family relationships, protect your kids. Here's the third thing. You control how much time you spend together with your parents and siblings. Um, some of them are very demanding. Um, some families, they love drop-bys. Um, some families hate drop-bys. Uh, my grand, my, I grew up, um, my house where I grew up was 200 yards from my mom's parents' house. Uh, 200 yards. Uh, do you know how many times my grandparents dropped by? Zero. Do you know how many times we drop by? All the time. Okay? Um, that's the way it rolled. My grandparents, they just gave my parents space. And they didn't care if we dropped by. I, don't, I, don't, I guess my parents cared. Who knows? I'm just a kid growing up. But I didn't think a thing about going over to my grandparents' house, going in without knocking on the door. I'd get in. Uh, my mom, when I was a kid, would buy nothing but cornflakes. And so, literally, we would spend our allowance on Lucky Charms, yes, Wheaties. Uh, you know, I would go over, and my grandma would buy Cheerios, and I would go over, and I'd get this gigundo bowl, and I'd fill it full of Cheerios, and I, I, I would eat my grandma's Cheerios. Um, <laughs> you control how much time you spend. Listen, there are some parents who you could see all the time and they don't want control in your life. They want you to control your life. There are other parents 
who, if you give them an inch, they will want to control as much as, as they can. And you need to make sure that you are controlling and leading your home and not your parents. Uh, listen, if you are blessed as an adult with parents who uh, are involved in your life but don't want to control your life, thank God. Thank God. Because there's a lot of good parents around like that. But you know, there are a lot of parents who are good parents who as adults, they never, outside of their children, they never built any relationships they never started any ministry. They don't have any hobbies. They don't really have a good relationship with their spouse. And so what they're doing is they're taking their failures to have all those things out and sucking the life out of you. You control how much time you spend together. Uh, if you don't like drop-ins, discourage them. If they don't bother you, then go for it. Here's number four. Uh, you handle your own family if there are problems. Don't make your spouse the bad guy with your family. Um, people, if there's trouble, people almost always take it better from the person who's biologically linked to them. In other words, if Sharon and I were having some problem with her family and, and we never had any problems, you, you know, like that, that were 200 miles away, um, you know, it's her job to handle her family. It's her job to sit down and, and say, um, Mom, you, you guys are into our business. Uh, I need you to stop this. Um, you say, that's hard. Welcome to life. Um, but if you want a problem fixed, uh, it should be handled by that person's own family. Expect some kind of conflict and disagreement over you establishing your new home in most cases. Hey, remember, your parents are learning this new role just like you're learning your new role as a husband and wife. Uh, some of you, you've now started your families. You had to learn a new role as now, wow, it's not just me and my spouse, it's me and my spouse and my kids. You, you know what? Nobody is a light switch. I mean, you didn't walk down a marriage aisle and then instantly, uh, you know, leave and cleave and handle everything in marriage well. You learned. Uh, same thing as a parent. You, you learned when God added children to your family how, how to uh, be a husband and wife with a child around. At least hopefully you did. Uh, your parents are just people. Even the very best people are people at best. And, and so be patient with them. They're They're learning. There's a good reason why there's a lot of mother-in-law jokes. Hey, listen, uh, I have known some mother-in-laws who are just incredible in how they handle themselves, their adult children, their grandchildren. They are not in anybody's business. Thank God for, if you have somebody like that in your life, you ought to thank God for them. Here's number five. Be careful about the money you take from your parents. Some parents feel like they're buying control when they give you money. Uh, listen, I get it. When, when you're an, a young married person, uh, by and large, you, you have little or nothing. You're just beginning to accumulate stuff. You're in the earliest years of your career. I, I, I get it. 
Uh, I'm not saying don't take a free dinner. Uh, I'm not saying don't let them buy you things on occasion. I'm not saying don't get help from your parents if you uh, got in a difficult event that set you back. I'm not saying don't ever let your parents pay for vacations. I'm I'm not saying this. I'm saying, uh, uh, here's what I am saying. If the price tag on whatever it is they're giving and buying you is control in your home, be careful what you take. I know you might not want to hear this, but young ladies, if you come from a home where your dad and parents were able to provide a lot of stuff and your husband, uh, as a young man who, who's working but is unable to uh, match everything that you had growing up, you, you better be careful how you talk about your stuff. You, you, look, men are weak, and you will crush his weak ego by the way you talk about the things you don't have that you used to have. By the way, that was just good advice. Whether you take it or not is up to you. Uh, again, I'm not saying don't take things from your parents. Uh, Sharon and I, we were fortunate. We both had good parents. They wanted us to be independent, but you know, it was real easy. Neither one of them really had anything to give us. And so we we basically, like many of you, we've just been on our own from, from the time we started. Here's the last thing. I I know. You said, good, this is almost over. Here's number six. Your spouse can see things about your family uh, that are difficult for you to see. I I don't know why this is, but what I've found in in a lot of premarital counseling and marital counseling after marriage, what I've found uh, is that Unfortunately, almost always, the last person we want to listen to is our spouse. I don't know if it's because we know them so well and know their flaws that we don't want to listen to them. I, I don't know why, but, but it's, it's, it's there. And um, when you're involved... It's very hard for you to see the kind of bad control your family has over you. Don't lift your hand. Let me lift my hand and say, you know what? We all have blind spots. And one of the blind spots we have, especially if you're a lady, is a blind spot to the negatives of your family. Listen, God made man to be the head of the home. God made woman to be the heart of the home. And because she's the heart of the home and because relationships are so important to her by nature, she is not going to see some of these things as clearly as you do. And so because of this, you know, when your spouse uh, says something, and by the way, I strongly recommend as few negative comments as possible about your spouse's family. They're almost never well-received. But there's times when something needs to be said. And if your spouse brings up something like this to you, please understand that you're just wearing goggles that makes it hard to see how your family affects you. And so please listen. 
I mean, especially, listen, if your spouse is somebody who's just always criticizing everybody and always running this down and always running, that's different. Listen, if your spouse is the kind of person who carefully and rarely is running uh, your family down the ringer, understand, take very seriously what they have to say when they bring up something about your family. Listen, God gave great potential to us when he gave us families. The Bible says God set it the solitary in family. The whole idea that people go up and down with their family, God designed that. We, we love it when people go up, when the mom and dad go up and the children are raised, but we despise it when the mom and dad are bad and the children go down. God designed this unbreakable link. It goes on through life. It's a chain from infancy to death that God put between us and our family. And so, man, if God has given you a great chain and people in your life, moms and dads and grandparents who are positive and help your faith and want you to be independent and support you and love you, man, thank God for them. But to whatever degree we get away from that being good, and all of us, all of us have stuff to deal with. Uh, listen, we, we our, taught our kids not to drink. Uh, and then, uh, you know, her family's a good family, but you, you get together for Christmas, everybody's drinking, and our boys are like, Grandpa's got a beer. And you, you, you have to sit down and say, listen, we love your grandpa. He is a good man. He's in our family. Uh, he does that, and he shouldn't do that. Listen, you just balance these principles like we talked about, and it'll help you. And I'm out of time. You should have a little paper. Uh, write down a question or a smiley face or uh, some kind of remark or something. Fold it in half one time. Drop it in the box. And uh, before you leave, and God bless you, you're dismissed. Your new dog arrives. I'm leaving town. The third dog arrives. Hey, how are you? Grandma had ample opportunity to help. Don't let her fool you. Help with what? The shower. Oh, she my mom is. Ample opportunity. My mom is a yapper. <laughs> Despite all of her complaints to me about not getting to do anything. Yeah. Then she didn't want to come early. So. I love my mom, but I get her. <laughs>